30-year-old has been punched by the system by now. They know the ways of the world. They've been shat on. So they know how to take shit. They've developed that sort of core strength that you need to work hard days. You have reached Escape the 9 to 5. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a 9 to 5 job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Ely and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I chat with successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Do you sometimes wonder whether college is worth the time and effort? Welcome to episode 3 of Escape the 9 to 5. I'm your host, Steve O'Ely, providing a guide to escaping the 9 to 5 by talking to people who've successfully done it. Chances are you've probably spent a number of years getting a degree, only for most of the information to no longer be relevant to your job. Plus, you've probably got a significant amount of student debt to go along with it. In today's episode, I talked to Charlie Parker. He's the director for the BBC and found the university experience a waste of time, learning more from a few weeks of placement than he did from a few years of university. He's going to tell you something you probably deep down already know. You can learn new skills without having to sign up to another degree. He's going to share why you need to go downhill before you go uphill, why putting in extra effort is important, and finally, that rejection is part of the journey, not the end of the journey. I joined the conversation with Charlie introducing his work as a director. I run a company called Broken Blonde Media. It's a production company I started, kind of technically started it in university. It wasn't really a business back then. It was more like a group of people who wanted to make films that weren't briefed to them by lecturers. So I put together this label and got a company made and all this kind of stuff. I always had like the ambition to like run a production company so we could like self-provide work because I think everyone who goes into film if they're realistic knows that it's incredibly tough to get to where you want quickly so you need to like find bread and butter work along the way so incredibly tough as in financially both uh financially because you can't get the job in the first place (laughs) so it's a tough road because there's so many people who want to do it and not that many job positions to fill up all that you know the number of people in the world who want to be a director is countless but the number of actual director jobs available in the world very small so it's just basic maths the the people wanting the job hugely outnumber the the availability of the job so i think in older generations you either get in or you don't you either get in you like get a runner job or you just don't get a job that's film related at all because it used to be so separate from these days where everyone has a camera, everyone can go out and make a film technically. If they had a phone, they could go make a film. You've got things like YouTubers, streamers, all that kind of stuff. So there's this huge like gray area in between now, like promotional videos, for example, I've done a lot of those in the past. That's been really good for just like working in something relevant whilst I'm trying to get the bigger jobs. Cause a lot of people like, you know, the sort of age old story of the actor who works as a waiter until they they get the break basically uh, same sort of concept but i think there's smarter ways to do it where you can keep yourself working in a more relevant 
because like back in uni, I used to work as a kitchen porter, which was absolutely terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> a horrible job. So I just, I, I was desperate to work in something relevant as soon as possible. And eventually I heard about a job offering for doing photography in nightclubs. And I was like, right, well, it's image based. I can take photos. I was like, at least it's something, you know, closer to the, to the dream goal of working in film than cleaning plates is. Yeah. But those kind of jobs, like nightclub photographer, like that, I, that wasn't really a job about 20 years ago. So I think there's lots of middle ground jobs that exist now that people can almost create for themselves. If you had an SLR and a, a decent quality mic, you could go to the local cafe and go, I'll make you an advert for Facebook. And if you're able to shoot a well enough, a good enough advert, you get more jobs, obviously. So yeah, that's what Broken Wand really started as. That was its main point was to right, I'm not going to leave uni and, you know, walk straight into Hollywood and someone's going to say, here you go, be a director, because that just doesn't happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I needed to set something else up that was still relevant. It meant I could still make stuff. I could still produce things that would uh, then it eventually become my portfolio by, yeah, doing like small time things in the same field rather than aiming for the top and then just working in a cafe or something like that which is what a lot of people still do, but everyone's got their own, their own journey, I guess. So, so you didn't walk out of um, university and get a $100 million movie budget? Nah, uh, yeah, I thought I thought it would, but it, <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> I imagine the number of people who went straight from uni to the top of the chain, I doubt is a high number. <laughs> but the important thing is, is there's other ways to sort of climb the ladder in your own sort of ways to, to make sure you're still making an impact on that industry and eventually working towards that goal. I have to say, when you said nightclub photographer, I'm picturing you're one of the guys behind those outrageous memes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of my close mates, his photo became a meme. You might have seen it or might not, where there's a guy talking down a girl's ear and she's just not interested in what he's saying. That was one of his photos. And he, he didn't make the meme. It just someone else turned it into a meme and then it exploded. And then he got all these contacts from uh, like Vice magazine and stuff trying to buy the rights for it. So it was a weird journey. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the job, basically. Once you've done it long enough, when I first did it as a student, so I was like, oh, wow, this is a job where I'm using a camera and things. That I was really excited. It's not washing plates. But once you've done it enough times, you're like, this isn't creative work. This is garbage (laughs) i am paparazzi for people who don't have anything going for them but i mean it's free promo for the clubs pretty much well not free but cheap promo because people back in the day the point was was people tag themselves in the photos and in order to do so they had to like the page so that was like the whole advertising scheme behind club photography i've seen that you've done some work is it for comedy central or or someone similar bbc whoa 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 we've been the day boys it's in the flat, why? Washing the bags. Just some bread and milk from the shop. Yeah, hi. No, night, mate. Sorry, what? Another night. Try somewhere else. It's the middle of the day, man. <laughs> it's fucking atrocious. For Christ's sake, Dave. Not again, what have I told you? So they have a new online content platform called Social. They also have one called Short Stuff. They're basically just finding ways to get younger audiences involved. So BBC being the sort of main TV industry channel in Britain and has been since TV started. Their audience is almost 
stagnated so their current audience is like their average viewers are 60 plus because they haven't really caught on to the trend of making everything digital so they're still very much broadcast tv so a lot of people in our generation the younger generations don't care about that anymore because they've, they've got netflix and amazon all the rest so these online content platforms that the bbc have st- only just started setting up are really to hook younger audiences in when I was younger, I'd be like, holy shit, something I made is going on TV, but <laughs> I think it's now become an outdated platform in a weird way. Like a video store now almost. Yeah, it's a bit upsetting because you finally reach that goal and then it doesn't mean as much as it used to. It's, it's a good sense of approval from the sort of more old school industry types to put it on TV. Like you've kind of tick the boxes for some of the people who live by the old school rules but at the end of the day you're making it to get seen charlie parker did a ted talk on careers and figuring out what you want to be when you grow up i want to ask you a question that question is what do you want to be how many times have you been asked that question what do you want to be i was asked it plenty of times when i was growing up i mean if you asked me when i was four years old my answer would have been i asked charlie why he gave the talk and he shares with you the key message. Essentially, I just happened to know one of the people organizing the event. And I was talking to her over a coffee. I didn't know she was involved in it or anything like that. We were like old friends from uh, uni days. And I was ranting. I was moaning about university and how I felt like it was pointless. And I felt like there's better means to getting into industries by doing things yourself. And she sat and listened to my rant for like half an hour. And she's like, you should do a TED talk. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, no, do you want to do a TED talk? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she explains she's hosting this. So I kind of had to do a bit of an audition to the TED team, as it were. So she asked me to do, do the talk and then I then had to prepare one. So I did a written one, which was just slating uni and <laughs> university, <laughs> like, because like, I found it very slow paced and I had a lot of problems with the actual course. I thought it was really good for meeting people and sort of growing into adulthood, but that all happened outside the classroom. So I was more slating the actual education part of it. They sent it back to me going, yeah, so the talk is going to take place at a university. We don't really want you to convince them all to quit. <laughs> whilst, whilst you're doing your talk. And I was like, right, okay. I was like, I, I should probably redraft this, shouldn't I? And they're like, okay. Like the point I was making was the same in the final version, but the original version was probably a lot more bitter than it needed to be. Uh, I'm glad they got me to change it because like, the, the newer version is way more reflective of the positives rather than the negatives of the struggles I had at university and things like that. Quite a funny story of how you ended up doing it. I think there's a lot of our generation who feel the same way about university, especially in an area like yours, which is quite creative. If the people at university knew the answers, they would be directing Hollywood yeah, films, they wouldn't be at university. Um, and I went down a lot more traditional route. I did um, veterinary science. I and mean, even there, there was a five-year degree and we spent so much time learning all the little details as opposed to getting more practical real life experience and learning on the job Um, yeah i I think a lot of degrees could easily cut down a year but in your case and a lot of sort of creative industries you do sort of wonder whether it's just better to give you a camera on day one and you learn as you go and learn how to use a camera and learn about all the little um, details yeah to broaden my argument i did go to college for one year before university so college is kind of like you get diplomas, but not 
honorary degrees. So it's kind of like the middle tier between that and getting a full degree. Often college is, it's either good enough for the sort of jobs that don't have high requirements, or it's a, a bridge between maybe the, the stuff you studied in school didn't quite get you over the mark and you need to do an extra couple of years, get another qualification that gets you in university. So that's why I did it. I wasn't very good at English and I needed that for university, which has not come in handy ever whilst <laughs> doing film. This is one of, one of the gripes of the university is the obsession with academia in a creative subject. So I had to do a night class at college, but whilst I was doing it, I did TV production. The college course I did was the opposite of my uni course where I thought it was really hands-on and really, really good. All our college lecturers were part-timers who were currently working in the industry. So it had the com a completely different atmosphere because it felt like we were getting taught on their break time when they were working on all these, these exciting projects we want to be part of. And sometimes they would give a, a hand out and get a student to come do an internship or something like that with them because I was only there as a bridge between that and university, I, I didn't do the full course. I did one year and then moved to university. And when I got to university, just to give you like a sort of equation on the first day in college, they did literally what you said earlier. They gave us a camera, this TV broadcast camera, and they taught us how to use it, told us to go film a five shot sequence. And that was like the first day that same camera took three years in university for them to introduce it to that camera. And that's why I was frustrated because maybe if i went to university without going to college i would have been a little more like yeah whatever this is cool but because i did do college it was almost like a boot camp they went hard on us and just taught us so much in such a small amount of time and it was always very focused on getting you a job in the industry and not very focused on academics or anything like that but when you go to university all the lecturers are full-time none of them have have worked in the industry in years and if they did they usually had like small roles and Obviously, it didn't work out for them because they became a lecturer at uni. So you end up with this real disconnected feeling from the actual industry. And you feel like a lot of their methods are very outdated. And a lot of them are like, a lot of the stuff we did was focusing on romanticizing old, old cinema and like just watching films from the 20s and things like that. Anytime you brought up a current film, like a mainstream film or anything like that, it was almost like swearing in, in the class. It's like <laughs> they, were so, they were so snobbish towards current cinema and I was like yeah but that's when the we leave university gone. yeah like what we're not going back in time <laughs> so we're joining today's industry we're not joining the industry from the 1920s do you not understand how this is completely backwards so those those were where a lot of my frustrations were sourced I find it quite interesting coming from a completely different field you know medicine versus um, the creative arts and a lot of the frustrations that you're mentioning is very similar to what I had at, at university. Is it really? Yeah. We barely did any practical work in the first four years of the degree, barely touched an animal. I'm going to veterinary science, barely touched an animal. And then in the oh, final year, you finally got to, to the point where you're actually working with animals. If you talk to anyone who goes to university, the people teaching almost invariably aren't the um, top of the chain, the people that haven't smashed it in business yeah it's it's because if they were smashing it in the business they're still there yes <laughs> i think the the college course did it right they got people who were working in the industry and just got them to part-time it because they got current advice very real advice i think most of the skills i honed and used were from college and not so much from from the education of university i, I learned a lot of life skills at university just you know 
living on your own like not living with your folks anymore like meeting people and maybe university was a good thing maybe it like encouraged me to start this company because I was so desperate to just go and do stuff that's when I started making Broken Bond because I was like I want to go make films and not watch black and white cinema all day you know (laughs) I was like, I want to actually get good at making films before I leave this university. So I think that's that probably put a rocket up my ass uh, in terms of getting out there and doing it. I can hear the frustration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even just, for example, this podcast that I'm creating, everything that I've learned has been from um, online YouTube videos and stuff, yep. and it's been very practical and very useful, whereas if I'd done an official podcasting course, we probably would have spent half a year doing theory before you even um, figured out how to do a podcast where these days I think you can just go onto YouTube, buy the gear and just start learning as you go. And yes, you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be an amazing filmmaker or podcaster on day one, but um, you've got to sort of learn by doing. YouTube is such a great resource as well. It's like, I think because it's such a collective hive mind, when you go to university, you're you're putting all your eggs in one basket because you're relying on one lecturer to do everything for you. Absolutely, yeah. And you question whether or not they're the right person for the job. You go on YouTube, you'll find one guy who's figured out this thing, like how to set up the mic to the perfect condition. Then you'll find another guy who knows how to stream really well. And then you'll find another guy, like it's, it's come from so many different minds who have like perfected their own little bit. You can just collect all that information and and, and just improve your skills that way. These days, YouTube is, is an incredible source of information. Like I know there's a lot of filmmakers now who are self-taught, self-made just from doing the same thing like so in regards to when you were talking on the ted talk you mentioned about the various careers that you went through so you wanted to be a pirate at one point yeah you moved on to wanting to be a violinist um and then sort of graduated to video game designer and then eventually settled on becoming a filmmaker when you decided to go into the film industry how did you know that this was the right career for you the film industry question revolved around my family quite a lot from a young age. My brother wanted to do sort of write and direct from a young age, and my sister wanted to act from a young age. I think our, our family was just quite film orientated. For me, it was one of those things that lurked in the background, and I only really saw the signs when I look, look back at it now, where we we just was just such a movie geek family in general like we're the ones that are at the the vhs rental every weekend get the two (laughs) movies on the friday night and maybe some ice cream that kind of thing i'd watch the movies like twice each because you've only got them temporarily and i think it's something i'd I'd always had a passion for without putting any spotlight on it and i always had like a sort of motivation to tell stories not so much when i was younger and like see when i was like wanting to be a violinist things like that i was usually inspired by something at the time I still want to be a pirate, to be honest, but they're, just, they're a bit, they're a bit, they're a bit out of date now. <laughs> so, yeah, usually they're inspired by something. The video game designer was kind of the first time I properly grasped what I could seriously see myself doing because I was getting to the sort of the end of. I was like mid-secondary school, so I must have been like fourteen, fifteen. When you're a teenager, that's when you start to think. You're going towards the adult direction, so you start to have thoughts about, hmm, what am I going to do when school's over? You know, you start to really go, oh, shit, it is going to end at some point, so maybe I should start thinking about this kind of thing. So uh, I played a lot of games, huge gamer, I still am, and every time I played games, I had this problem with books as well. Every time I read books, still to this day, 
I get really distracted as I'm reading them because I start creating my own stories in my head. I start getting inspired immediately. Like when I read Harry Potter when I was like 10 or 11, I'd read bits of Harry Potter at a time. And then I'd be like three pages later and I haven't read a single word. I've just been like looking at words because I've just started creating a world in my head going, oh, this would be really cool. This happened. And I start adding to the story rather than like just digesting it. So I think I've always had a problem for that. And playing games was the same. I was like, it'd be so cool if it had this and this. And I was like, oh, I wish I could make a game that had this, this and this. So I constantly like added onto material that I was digesting, I guess. So video game design was really starting to become a big passion of mine. So I went, right, it's time to learn how to be a video game designer. I want to know what skills I'm going to need. And that uh, one of the big skills you need is programming. So it was when I started doing programming, I did it at school and I did it in my own time. I did it for a while, probably about a year or something. And I just did not like it at all. But I think because my mind is creative and not necessarily academic logical which is what programming needs i was understanding it but i just wasn't having fun i was like how do you make a game though without doing this stuff i know now and later in life that there are positions in games companies where there are literally writers who write for video games and not know anything about the coding but back then i was like maybe my real passion here is the creation of the ideas and i noticed every time i was coming up with a video game concept i'd write them all down I'd often picture the cutscenes in my head. So cutscene is like, it's basically the mini movie that plays within the game. So when it's introducing the characters and stuff, it's the non-playable part of the game where you just watch what's what the story is. So that's what a cutscene is. Because I kept imagining that part of the video games, I realized later, maybe I like films. <laughs> so maybe I want to write films because every time I've come up with a game idea, I've started with the cutscene and and pretty much finished with it as well. I keep thinking of the cinematics within games. Yeah, I like playing games, but maybe it's films I want to make. When I came to this sort of conclusion, I was getting to like the final year of secondary school by this point, and I just switched completely. I just went, let's do films instead. Clearly, it's what I want to do. I just want to make, I want to write and create worlds that people can watch and enjoy. I was like, games they can interact with, but Films just seems like a smarter option because I'm just not interested in the coding side of things. And the film, you can just make it and it's done. Like there's no new language I need to learn or anything like that. It's just bang, you just write a story and make it and it's done and over with. At least it sounded simple to me at the time. I learned since then it's a lot more tricky than that. But there's not really been much that has made me turn around and go, nah, screw this. I've enjoyed, yeah, I've remained passionate about it, I guess. And every time a bone gets thrown my way and something works out for me, I'm not like someone who believes in destiny or anything like that, but I do have a belief that, you know, the harder you work, the more luck you get. So I find these really odd scenarios that have happened to me along my career, like the TED Talk, for example, happens to be at a time where I'm just giving it my all. It doesn't have to be in that particular thing that led to that chance but for, for some reason things just occasionally work out out of nowhere and it's usually from somewhere you don't expect but it's always at a time that I'm putting so much effort and drive into that particular industry so I've always believed in just if you work hard you don't necessarily need to know where the path is going but sometimes someone will throw you a fucking rope but I don't think it's anything I will get bored of I guess is what I'm saying because yeah the passion's still very much alive it's kind of like for me because i've always been a i'm an all or nothing kind of person like i have to do it there's no other option like some people along the way gone oh you ever thought about you know 
you know, you've got to make money. How about you do this instead? I was like, mm. I was like, just uh, this, I'm doing this. This is the option. And I was like, I will figure out a way. If, if it's not working at a particular point in my life, I will figure out a way to do something similar that will bring me back into it. On that note, I'm curious because I've come for a, a more sort of safe career path where you've got a set salary and stuff. Have there been times in your career where you're sort of thinking like, oh, gee, like um, things aren't sort of reliably coming through like I, I don't actually know how it works in your industry whether you're on um, a set work at all you get paid for um contracting jobs that you do you need to be ready to be constantly living on the edge because <laughs> that is part of freelancing it's um i've never once been safe or secure if you look at it from a logical perspective and you look at what i've got coming up i will not be more than two months ahead of myself in terms of job bookings and things like that but to this day, for 10 years, they've always come through. It's always ended up happening. The way the mentality needs to work for this kind of job, it's almost like using a torch in a dark tunnel. You can't see that there's another door outside of the torchlight because it's too dark to see, but you just got to trust there is one there. And sometimes you just got to rely on uh, chance just going your way. It's almost like gambling day to day sometimes. I've been very like close on so many occasions to being bankrupt but usually it's the kind of bankruptcy i can pull back from and usually ends up happening something like job comes through and and usually if you're getting closer to that break point you end up working harder and pulling more more like strings and everything you can to make sure you stay afloat as i said earlier i'm a pretty sort of ride or die type who i trust that if you just keep throwing yourself at it eventually you'll get there as long as you're being smart about it and not annoying everybody whilst we're at it but yeah i even even when i've been in very difficult financial situations it's always been a case of i'll work away around this like these days anyone could pick up a camera go make a film for someone and come out with a promotional video and advertising is one of the most important things in a sea of videos that's online at the minute. So I feel like it's one of those jobs that's... There's always going to be work for you. If you yeah, I think, yeah I think if you force, force your way through it, you can find work as a filmmaker so long as you get the skills necessary to be ready for the tough times. There are filmmakers who aren't like that. There's filmmakers who specialize from day one. They rely on crew work. They rely on the big industry jobs. Yeah, I know a lot of guys who do assistant director work, which is essentially you're a kind of extension of the director on a big set. You will only have these kind of positions on big budget stuff because they're like, there's there's so many people to deal with. So you need assistant directors. So I know a group of these guys, I'm in a group chat with them, in fact, and it was pure panic when pandemic arrived because their financial security is reliant on the industry hiring them every time there's a job. They're not in control of their destiny at all. They are waiting for jobs to come to them because for them to work, there always needs to be a production being made in Scotland, basically. So as soon as that stops, they can't make any money at all. And because they've only done this type of job, they haven't learned any skills. They couldn't grab a camera, go out there and film an advert because... They've never learned how to use the camera. They've worked as a cog in a bigger machine, which is, in my eyes, the old-fashioned method of getting into film because back then you couldn't buy your own camera. You couldn't go make your own promo videos. You had to get into that big industry. There's no other option. 
but I think these days, equip yourself for bad times and you should be able to float. It's a reminder we need to adapt to the 21st century. Times are changing and people who stick to the previously regarded safe jobs are the ones that may get left behind. You don't need a degree to learn a new skill. No matter the industry, you can learn new skills yourself. There are so many resources online, you don't necessarily need to sign up to an approved course. As Charlie mentioned, a lot of the info in these courses are outdated and almost definitely run by people who are potentially out of touch. When people are considering leaving their current career, I sometimes think they sign up to an official course or degree because it's easy and the information is spoon-fed to you. It also potentially delays actually making the hard choice of leaving your current profession. This leads nicely into the quote of the week by Jersey Gregorick. Easy choices, hard life. Hard choices, easy life. I joined Charlie back asking him if he's ever wished that he'd gone down a more safe career path. And I say that with a hint of sarcasm because I don't really believe there are many safe jobs anymore. It's an interesting time to have this conversation, I guess, because I've had these kind of conversations a lot with people where they're like, oh, I can't imagine being in your position where you don't know when the next paycheck's coming. You know, I'd rather just a job that sorts me out and good and fine, blah, blah, blah same people I had that conversation with are now looking for work because their, their safe job has cast them out because of something like the pandemic. Whereas for me, um, not trying to make it sound like a gloat, I'm just trying to explain how safety is almost like an illusion. I've always had a problem with safety. I've not liked it. <laughs> for me, I've never been comfortable with the concept. I, I think in order to, if you aspire to something bigger, I think you need to take risks. That's the only way you're going to get to bigger. Otherwise, you stay at medium or wherever. I think with security, you're going to stay perfectly still because you vetoed making any extra effort. Literally, the job comes with the maximum level of effort I need to put in attached to the description. And that's as far as I'm ever going to go. And this is purely coming from a creative perspective because this is a volatile career and everyone needs to fend for themselves. I think you constantly need to take risks if you want bigger. If you want bigger, you need to be bigger. You need to work bigger. You need to fight for it, basically. It's, you're never going to escalate. Being comfortable is, is like a, a dangerous thing to be, I think, sometimes, if you have aspirations. That is, some people love the comfortable lifestyle and all, all, all the respect to those kind of people. But for people who have ambition and desires, if you ever choose to be comfortable, you've kind of sacrificed your ambitions and desires. And I don't think you can get both. Yeah, uh, I agree. You talk about ambition and desire. What's the target, I guess, of your career? My target since I started would be to direct a film that goes in a cinema and is watched by millions of people. Do you have a genre in particular that would be your dream movie, I guess? When I started, it was sci-fi, because I'm a big sci-fi fan. But as I've done filmmaking, I've realized my knack is in comedy and dark comedies and things. So what I've learned from loads of advice from loads of different people is find your thing and use that first. And then if you want to do the other genres later, you need to be higher up before you can make that decision. So yeah, I think comedy is is sort of my, my niche at the moment. So these days, though, it's kind of similar to being on TV. It's becoming outdated. Cinema was my dream from the beginning. But at the moment, my dream is more Netflix or Amazon because that, that's that's 
sometimes better than being in the cinema these days. But yeah, I'd want to direct on a global stage, I guess, is the, the easier way of putting that. Um, that is the ambition, and I'm still working towards that desire. So um, just to give you a bit more of a background of the inspiration for this podcast is it's aimed at people in our generation who've typically done the, the safe thing. They've gone to university, done a solid job, and they get to their late 20s and sort of thinking, what am I doing with my life? Do you have three pieces of advice that you would give to someone having doubts about their uh, safe career choice? Yeah, absolutely. I've come across this a lot, actually, usually amongst friends of mine. And I'm trying to like put fire into their belly into something I think they're good at. So I have like some friends who are, are currently working in a safe job, which does this for them, pays the bills for them. They're not exactly happy about it. They groan every time they go in on a Monday. They cheer every time they come out on a Friday. That's not the sign of a job that you enjoy. <laughs> it's a sign of a job that's paying bills and nothing else. So if that's how you feel about your job, then think again is is what I believe. One of my friends, he's doing one job. I know is literally just an out-of-university job. In fact, he didn't go to university. I think he's literally out of school. An out-of-school job, which doesn't require much, but it pays the bills. He hates it. You can tell he hates it. But I found that he has a passion for something else. And I've started going, why don't you try like getting into that? And he's like, uh, yeah. And he always makes a joke every time I, I bring it up. And I'm like, but seriously, you clearly really enjoy that. And it's also not a, a high requirement career. It's not like a lawyer or anything like that. It's something that you could do an apprenticeship for a couple of years and be in. It's not even crazy difficult to do. But still, he's very embedded in that that old mindset of, no, well, you know, that's that means I have to do stuff that makes me less comfortable for a little bit. And that's that's a dangerous attitude. I guess that's the first piece of advice is you've got to go downhill before you go uphill when you're at this age and you're already set up because, yeah, you might lose money for a little bit because you might need to requalify yourself. One, one of my clients ages ago was a programming company for people who were mid-career so most of their clientele are 40 and they all worked in all manner of industries and the idea of this place was to give them a crash course in programming so that they could go get a tech job and everyone who came came going holy crap this is programming this is like the biggest subject i could get involved in and it was a six-week course and they have something like a 95 percent employment rate of people they output from their course they wouldn't have a single university degree that would have yeah, yeah, <laughs> those exactly. numbers. Exactly. And it's because these are seasoned veterans of working. What people our age forget is that they have acquired skills over the last 10 years or so. When you leave uni, you're a kid who knows how to drink really fast <laughs> and, <laughs> and has learned lots of information and learned how to make friends maybe, but they don't have the work ethic of a 30-year-old. A 30-year-old has been punched by the system by now. So they know they know the ways of the world. They've been shat on by now. So they know how to take shit. They've developed that sort of core strength that you need to work hard days. I think at 20, there, there's not many people who could say they've worked over 13 hours. But at 30, you're more likely to have way more people who have done that at some point in their job where they've had to do a crazy overtime shift or something like that. So they have this backbone of experience now which becomes transferable into the new career. So with the programming thing, the reason it's so successful, the, 
the people keep getting hired is not because they're amazing at programming. They've learned the basics, but it's because they know how to work and know how to improve themselves by this point, because they know if they don't, they lose everything they've got, which is what they're most afraid of. You know, they lose their job and they lose the money. So 20 year old who's got their life ahead of them and a 30 year old who doesn't believe they've got their life ahead of them, even though they do. 20 year old is going to be a lot more complacent when they start their job because they could easily go get another job. I think a 30-year-old's not. I think they've got a lot more to risk and a lot more to lose. So they're going to put way more energy into making sure they're good enough for the new job. So that's uh, that's why I believe these guys. I watched and recorded their interviews, but gave me a lot of inspiration, like, listening to them as well. I was like, that's like crap. That guy was like a chef. Now he's programming for a security company. <laughs> you know, it's so un- unrelatable beyond your imagination, like, those two jobs coming together. But... By being a chef, he learned how to work with a team. He learned how to communicate with people. He learned how to do huge, long hours. He learned how to take shit from literally everybody because in the kitchen, it's madness. I can tell you from experience. I think that's something people our age who are in the safety shell. And it's such a good age to make the change as well because I think a lot of people fear it's too late. You've still got 40 years ahead of you, really. Yeah, yeah, you've got ages. Look at this year. This year has lasted five years. <laughs> so like, you've got plenty of time to like figure things out. I think this year has probably done a lot of, it sounds bad, I think it might have done a lot of good to certain people who needed a pause button to stop and go, wait, and look at what they really value in life and then realize, why am I doing that? Why am I doing this? I certainly did. I feel like I, I had that sort of moment of awareness, even like, especially in lockdown, things like that, you went, you know what, I didn't need that part of my life anymore. But I'm hoping that people are given a a moment of clarity just to think for a bit. If they're getting affected by all this stuff going on personally, the worst thing you can do is just panic and get upset by it because you're never going to come up with a solution. The, The best thing you can do is think, right, this has happened to me for a reason. Just convince yourself it's happened for a reason. How can I make this work? What's going to make this work? now that this has happened to me. That's usually how I deal with crisis. A lot of people might think it's almost like an ignorant way to approach things, but I find most of the time it gives you that resilience you need at a dark time. And there's been a few in, in the last uh, like 10 years, because I think that's just part of being an adult, part of, your, part of your life. Sometimes just you have a dark moment or a dark few months or a year or a couple of years because things just haven't gone your way for a bit or things have gone wrong or you've lost people that you love and things like that so for me anyway I guess the way I justify it is I think all right things happen for a reason make it work unless you're about to die (laughs) which which is horrible you've still got your life ahead of you you've still got a chance to to change things like if you look into the stories of people who made it much later on in their lives. Um, I mean, Ricky Gervais comes to mind. He was an office guy till he was like late 30s. And then one thing led to another and look at him now. Exactly, exactly. There's there's quite a few actors actually who made it later in life than earlier in life. I think he's, he's I can't remember if it's Morgan Freeman is one of them. Um, the Ken Jong guy, the sort of comedy Asian dude who's in The Hangover, he used to be a doctor. And then he started doing stand-up comedy and then he's a huge movie star. Yeah. And did he sit there and think, ah, but, you know, I'm getting paid pretty well as a doctor. Even though I'm miserable. 
yeah, I was like, I think I'm funny. I think I can tell jokes, but you know, I'll just watch other people do it. You know, I'll just sit here. I've got a corner couch. You know, that's me comfy. He'd still be a doctor. He'd still be miserable. You know. Um, and then you're always going to be thinking, what if, what if I'd actually yeah. taken a risk? Yeah, it's better to take the risk and find out it didn't go well. <laughs> if you're persistent and you just keep going and keep trying, that energy rubs off on other people, and eventually someone opens the door for you because they go, you know what? They're obviously this committed. There's the the movie, even though he's he's a bit of a, an ass. Um, the founder, the story of the McDonald's guy. Yeah, he listens to a little motivational tape that talks about persistence, and he's a traveling salesman in the 50s or 40s, and he's getting knocked back for years and years and years, and eventually, he he sees something and he just he just kept going basically and eventually he he struck gold same with the kfc guy i think he had something like 100 rejections before he eventually got picked up probably this would be the next bit of advice is expect rejection it's part of the the journey it's not the end of the journey and sometimes rejection is the best way to tailor yourself to what you need to be because sometimes rejection is life giving you a uh a hint on what you need to improve to to get over that next hurdle. You know, the sort of person who moves to LA and tries to be an actor, but they've never gotten improved their acting skills. They just keep trying to get jobs instead of improving their acting skills. Like you've got to be aware of that. Make sure you're improving yourself once you're at it. I think rejection is part of that. You know, you're talking about taking your risks and you've got people that are lawyers that are on a, over a hundred K and they're in a really safe career. And yes, they've, you know, got everything that they could ever desire financially. But then if you're absolutely miserable from Monday 8am till Friday 6pm, what's the point in doing it all, you know? Yeah, there is there is none. It, it, it begs the question, what do they do on the weekend? With some people, I find like they, they have an escapism on the weekends, which is what their real passion turns out to be. You know, it's sometimes that's the clue is what do you do for fun? Other than drinking, obviously you can't you can't drink professionally. We all love doing it, but yeah, what's your escapism when you haven't got an al- alcohol? And you know, so many people, especially I guess wealthy people, who go on these sort of extravagant holidays, is just as you say, an escape from reality. And then they have to spend so much money just to feel um, happy for the couple of weeks they have off, and then they're back to their miserable job. Yeah. That's it. That's the that's the machine, unfortunately. That was director Charlie Parker. How relatable was this week's episode? How many of us have gone to university or college and been taught by an outdated old bastard who is out of touch with the real world? Of course there are great lecturers and tutors as well, but I do feel for a lot of professions, formal education is overrated, especially practical jobs like filmmaking or industrial design. Charlie was great to talk to and we both share a frustration with university, or as our American friends call it, college. You can find out more about Charlie at brokenblonde.com. That's broken blonde with an E at the end. Three tips from Charlie from this week's episode. You've got to go downhill before you go uphill. Even if this means re-qualifying to something you enjoy. This is the hard part. If you are serious about escaping the 9 to 5, you've got to come to terms with likely a drop in pay and even retraining. Just don't go back to university or college unless it's absolutely necessary. Number two, if you put in enough effort, that energy rubs off on people and eventually doors will open. And number three, expect rejection. This is part of the journey, not the end of the journey. From my own personal experience with podcasting, 
I've lost count of the number of emails I've sent asking for an interview from people that have been ignored or declined. But it's a numbers game and the more rejections you're willing to take, the more opportunities you're giving yourself as well. Kind of like the guy who asks every single girl on a date. Eventually someone will say yes, but you've got to expect rejection as well. This week's challenge. Keep an emotions journal daily. Challenge accepted. During this podcast, I'll try to stay away from too much of the soft and fluffy stuff. But an emotions journal is really going to help you. I'll be honest here. When I was initially given this advice, I thought it was hippie bullshit. But I tried it anyway. I was told to keep a small journal and at the end of every day, write down three emotions that come up during the day and the circumstances they came up in. For example, that anxious clients make me feel exhausted. Or, I felt angry having to deal with someone who was expecting our services for free. I was also recommended to write down one thing I was grateful for. At first, I thought this was a waste of time. Over time though, I found that identifying specific emotions helped me realize what particular aspects of my job I was enjoying and which specific parts were making me unhappy. Instead of having a shitty day, I would then realize talking to highly anxious pet owners drained me, but I enjoyed and cherished working with nurses and having banter with colleagues. Writing down something I was grateful for over time made me appreciate my day and helped shift out of a negative mindset and into a positive mindset. Try this out for a month. Trust me. After a few weeks, you will notice the difference. And it will give you more clarity about making a decision about changing careers. For the record, I find having an emotions journal so useful, I still use it to this day. So for a few minutes at the end of each day, write down three emotions that come up and one thing you're grateful for. Challenge accepted. Thanks for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. If you need help on your own career journey, be sure to join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. You'll be joining a community of like-minded people looking to make the most of their lives and escape the trap of a comfortable paying job that's unenjoyable or meaningless. Don't wait till next year's New Year's resolutions to start making changes. In this group, we'll discuss changes you can make right now to escape the 9 to 5. This week, we'll be talking about this episode's theme, you don't need a degree to learn a new skill, including ways to learn new skills outside of formal institutions. If you've taken any advice from our first episode, you'll have already created space, which will allow you time to spend learning a new skill on the side while still holding down a paying job. The link to the Facebook group is in the show notes. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. This show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ealy. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. Links to this are in the show notes. See you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.